when you tell an athlete at the beginning you're going to be playing on a surface made from glass, then he thinks you're ludicrous. It's absolutely insane to start with. Uh, glass is reflective, glass is slippery, glass breaks. There's all sorts of uh, preconceptions people have that we obviously have to break down. This is the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast, showcasing outstanding startups and initiatives in the global sports tech ecosystem. From Sports Tech X, the leading source for data and insights about sports tech, here is your host, Roan Maholtra. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast. We are launching a new theme for the month of September. This is all about innovation in stadium and venue technology. This is in partnership with the DFL, with the Deutsche Fußball League, uh, the Bundesliga. You might know them better as that. Um, they have an event coming up in March of next year, which is the Sports Innovation event, where they showcase all the coolest tech at one single match in Dusseldorf. Um, anything from body cams to media production to fan experience, a lot of cool tech is showcased in that one game. And leading up to that event, uh, this month with us, we will be talking to some very cool companies uh, which are providing innovative solutions, as I said, in stadium and venue technology. One such uh, company is ASB Glassflow. Uh, and I have the fortune of having their managing director, Christoph Babinski, on our show. Welcome to the show, Christoph. Hello, Rowan. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you taking the time. There is a reason that we're having ASB. It's a company that has been around for a while and some a name that might be familiar to some of you. But I'm fairly sure that most of you would have heard this name a bit more recently after they came in the news for their very, very innovative, very cool glass flow that they debuted in uh, at the under 19 women's world cup in madrid at the fiba under 19 women's world cup in madrid so it was a basketball court that lights up however you want to um and so we're going to hear more about that and uh, what asb what else asb is up to over the show uh, but first christoph before we get to the solution i always want to know about the person about the team behind the solution um so i invite you to share a bit about your background from what i've gathered uh, that i read that the enterprise was a family-run affair. You kind of inherited maybe the idea or the solution from your father a bit, and then you took it to another level. Um, is that correct? Or anything more that you'd like to add, please? Yes, no, that's correct. The company is founded in 1965 by my father. Um, I took over management in 2012. My father had the... We are originally world market leaders in the distribution of squash courts, and there we have a product that has four sides made of glass, and the floor used to be traditionally wooden made. And we had more and more tournaments outdoors. So my father was looking for a solution to find a high-performance sports floor that can work in all climatic conditions. And he thought, if all the walls are glass, why don't we build a floor out of glass? And then in 2012, or even earlier, uh, I got involved in that project. And it was my idea to then say, well, if we do that, we can put lines underneath the floor. So this needs to leave the small squash court. It needs to go into bigger sports halls and we can do lines for different sports on demand. That's kind of how the idea started. So I left my job in the UK 2012 to come back to Germany to the small town of Stein an der Traun where we operate out of. 
and uh, took over leadership. And we're glad you made that switch because I think the solution itself is so so visually engaging straight away. I think anybody who's watching a basketball game or a squash game with your uh, flow solution, it just immediately draws you in. By the way, I should also mention that, uh, Christoph, you are a bit of an artist as well. I saw that you do exhibitions at art galleries. Um, so it's maybe light and sound is a, is just in general an area of interest? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, it, it's funny, I was uh, chosen or I had the honor to exhibit at the Biennale this year in Venice. Um, it's the architectural Biennale. So there's two reasons for that. One, the video floor that you see in sporting events, we use very similar technology to also bring that to the walls and we call it digital wallpaper. And we see a space for this in upcoming NFT art markets. Um, uh, and I have some fairly creative ideas for digital art that can now with an NFT mechanism or the blockchain be secured. And I think it's the right time to display that. So I introduced that concept to the European Culture Council and they invited me to exhibit in Venice this year. So the exhibition is on until October and we see where that path will take me. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Interesting indeed. I didn't know that it was still on. Uh, I don't plan to go to Venice, but if I will, I would love to drop by. Um, before we actually, because you mentioned NFTs and Web3, it's something that we talk a lot about um, through, uh, through our content as well. Uh, I, I want to talk about ESB and we'll get there, but maybe just expand on that exactly. How, what do you mean the translation is and how does your physical world uh, light uh, or uh, panel technology translate to the digital NFTs? So we have two things. First, the NFT artwork I do is a feedback loop. So I use a camera and it pointed at the screen that the camera is projecting. So there's a feedback loop happening of the camera recording and then recording what it has just recorded. And that can only happen in the physical space. So I don't make artwork out of algorithms like most uh, NFT or digital artists at the moment. I have a real life concept that I think has artistic value especially now uh, with everything going digital because it happens in the physical world, but you need a digital media to record it. And then there's a lot of digital art out there being traded for up to millions already. And a lot of people own these physical pieces of artwork or, or digital pieces of artwork, but they can never really be exhibited. So there's a company like Samsung who produces a TV now called The Frame, which is a little bit more of an architectural piece. Than, a, than just a TV, but it's not the chosen medium for you to look at art. Nobody wants to look at TV screens all day long. So what we have developed is a material that seamlessly integrates with architecture. So you, when it's off, you simply realize it's a wall. When it's on and you don't have moving content, it looks like it's a printed wallpaper. That's why we call it digital wallpaper. And when you have moving content, then you simply wonder where it comes from because it will never look like a screen. It's a high-end product. You can touch, no finger markings on it, 180-degree uh, viewing angle. It, all of these needs that you'd have to display art in private or in public spaces at a high level without looking at a screen. And that's, I think, very important in the future. That sounds incredibly interesting. I'm actually already curious to see what this would look like. I have some sort of idea in my imagination. I can also imagine it would be a, a straightaway use case, as you said, for high end, maybe like in VIP ultra luxury zones in uh, stadiums and arenas um, 
or spaces in general. Um, so let's come to that. Let's talk about the applications to sport because that's where we come from. Um, so your technology, of course, can be applied to any, um, in a, well, let's say not any, but a lot of different ways. But you came from sport. Uh, as you said, the company was founded by making um, courts for squash. And you want to continue to develop in this area? Uh, or do you, as you said, now are finding other applications for the technology? No, no, of course we want, we came to stay. Uh, if you've seen the recent developments, I think it would be pretty stupid to stop here. We have spent 10 years fighting windmills, getting our product accredited by the important players in the sports world. And we do every type of indoor sports event, uh, except of hockey, of course, because we don't produce ice. Um, and we came to stay. However, like a couple of years ago, we got contacted by several companies in the digital space. Our clients include Dell Computers or Microsoft, for example, to provide that type of technology that we have outside the world of sports because they see applications for it and we, are, we have a technological advantage uh, in how we deal with LED lighting and glass in combination. Plus, we can deliver everything out of one hand. But our main focus is and will stay in the sports environment. However, if you, maybe you get to know me a little bit more uh, during this call. I'm someone who constantly needs to do something new. So I'm preparing the playing field for the next 15 years to come. It sounds interesting. And I hope to get to know you a little bit better because the idea of new is always what excites us here at Sports Tech X. That's why we will... We look at all the most innovative solutions in sports. Uh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how your innovation impacts sports. You already said that it is focused on indoor sports. There are some sports that it will cover. Um, how, how do you think of that solution? Is it primarily a fan experience solution? It enhances everybody, the, the viewing experience for fans? Or is there an impact on athletes as well? I don't know, related to uh, refereeing or umpiring of a sport. Um, what is the core function of the solution um, and how does it get implemented? Uh, do you talk to venues only or do you talk to sports teams, for example, in, in how the solution gets deployed? Mm -hmm. I'd say there's about three main use cases for our product and they're, they're quite important to look at. So we need to really take a step back into 2008 when we developed the first multipurpose glass sports floor. And we never set out to, to use a certain product. So when you look at the industry of people making sports floors, you have companies that are in the business of dealing with wood. They're most probably, you know, they, they get wood in, they process it, they turn it into different things. And one of these things that wood can be turned into is a sports floor. And then you have synthetic surfaces, which are driven by companies that deal with the chemicals that you need to produce these sports floors. Now, for us, this is very different. We have a full-on, no-compromise approach. That's also why developing the product has taken a very, very long time. It's, we've chosen very unconventional methods of manufacturing the sports floor. I mean, when you tell an athlete at the beginning you're going to be playing on a surface made from glass, then he thinks you're ludicrous. It's absolutely insane to start with. Uh, glass is reflective, glass is slippery, glass breaks, there's all sorts of uh, preconceptions people have that we obviously have to break down but once you realize that a piece of glass we use is 1.8 times, times more elastic than a wooden board and the grip we have on the floor is slightly higher than on traditional sports floors 
and uh, there's a matte surface that has no strong reflection of the lights above it. And um, we have essentially no abrasion on that surface, so we can clean it with very heavy detergents if we want to. You can walk on it with street shoes. UV light doesn't have an impact on it. Uh, then you realize this might really be a good choice for a sports floor as a top surface. And then you realize things like, okay, we can actually shine light through it. Translucence is the key word for us because not all of our flows are, are see-through as such so that you see everything that happens underneath. The original product we had developed, which is called ASB Multisports, simply is a sports floor made from glass on an aluminum substructure that we need to make it absolutely equally elastic across the whole of the surface. And then we put different U-channels out of aluminum with LED lights inside them within that substructure and they are in the configuration of a basketball field and then we have a volleyball field and a handball field and suddenly you realize okay the first thing we have is a product that we believe is the most superior sports floor and performance sports floor currently available on the market for several reasons then we suddenly have a multifunctional product without compromise because you have a sports floor that when you don't turn it on it's simply whatever color the client chooses, but then you press basketball and suddenly it's a professional field only with the lines for basketball. You press another button, you have a professional field only for the lines of volleyball. And then suddenly you realize that you're producing a no compromise product for every user of that sports venue at the same time whilst you generate efficiencies. Because when you have a sports venue with spectators, these are traditionally investments between 50 and 150 million euros. Then um, you realize on Saturdays they have to close the venue because they have to take out the floor for basketball to put on a volleyball tournament on Sunday. And with our product, you just hit the button and that's it. And uh, it's also interesting to see that glass as a material actually proves to, be, uh, to have advantages in day-to-day -day operation. So the client suddenly realized that the product pays for itself after about 10 years because of lower maintenance cost, and it has a lifetime of 70 years. And only in 2015, we really came to the product that you have seen now at the FIBA Under-19 Women's World Cup in Madrid, which is the full video sports floor. That sports floor has the same playing characteristics as the floor I talked about before. However, now we have a full video screen under the floor that allows us uh, to do a lot of different things. With it. This would then be fa fan engagement when you look at it initially. However, we must uh, understand that fan engagement has been added at a much later stage when we already had a product that was simply designed with the athlete in mind. And it still is with the athlete in mind. And that is a journey that continues because managing what is shown on the field whilst the players are on it is a very, very critical uh, thing to do. And we have to keep being involved in these decisions. We can't just hand the floor over to a client or a federation. We need to make sure that we do something in very slow steps that the players are comfortable with. I, I actually, sorry to interrupt you, but that was the point that I was going to address. That I love the fact that you came from performance. Yes. You're build, you were trying to build the best possible sports floor, uh, whether it's wood, glass, um, steel, whatever surface. You said, let's build that first. And on top of that, you found that this is providing, I guess, so many added benefits. It almost sounds like from you what you describe as um, a no-brainer that most indoor facilities should opt for 
this kind of solution if it before if it allows for lower cost better maintenance um and uh, maybe perhaps better playing surface for athletes do you think that this is just an inevitable future or, or is there a debate that glass versus wood versus other traditional surfaces will always coexist they will always coexist no question this will always be a premium product that's clear um okay. and i think there's space for all of this however the larger uh, projects they have more and more of a sustainability focus so we do expect uh, a, a fair rise in demand and we spent the last couple of years bracing for that fair enough so as you said it's a premium product so most let's say pro facilities would be opting for something like this you would expect but um, let's say grassroots facilities where your kids would be uh, playing sport every weekend uh, maybe they would not be able to afford it yet until this technology uh, reaches that price point stay up to date with all things sports tech and sign up for our newsletter you'll get a monthly breakdown of the most important developments in the global sports tech ecosystem paired with exclusive interviews with industry leaders get all of this and more delivered directly to your inbox sign up today at sportstechx.com so we've set the context a bit for what the floor does it is a superior playing surface which also becomes uh an incredibly interactive um video board for to engage the fans uh let's go back to the business model um so how it would be implemented is that it is are, are you currently working purely through venues or do you also go through sports organizations how does your product uh, go to market effectively it's a very interesting one because our market is global and our market is vast and our market our product depends on early movers and early adopters at the moment So we have chosen a very simplified approach to our go-to-market strategy, and we have we we have a sales office here running on a pure pull strategy. So we simply respond. We create content, we put it out there. We hope it's featured somewhere, and then we respond to inquiries that come in. Uh, we don't set ourselves goals like, okay, look, this is the NBA. We need to reach them next. That's not really how we work. We are more like, okay, the people that are ready to move, they will find us. fair enough and especially you clearly doing a good job i mean it is our job to know about the innovation but the amount of times i saw your glass floor at the madrid event uh, featured in various bits of content it was all over my linkedin feed um so clearly uh, the marketing is working in some ways um would you say that has been your biggest success to date or have there been other projects that you've worked on which have maybe generated more visibility or uh, more uh, and let's a credit for you that you've enjoyed working on no i'd say we have to say that this is in terms of events that we have run this clearly was the biggest impact we've made we also had a fairly big shot with the initial idea um we uploaded our website and went to market with the product on the 1st of january 2013 and we managed to get a bit of a viral wave on the internet then uh fairly similar to what's happening now and i think it's not going to be the last time any any projects coming up or that you've recently closed that uh, we can look out for yes. uh, that you can share now i can't share them but i can tell you there's stuff coming up and if we we have that little bit of luck maybe something will even happen within germany in the next couple of months looking forward to it i also want to say that christoph i saw um again on different pages uh, that you mentioned um basketball of course and handball and volleyball but i also saw that you have something for poker 
Um, do you have something for other applications? Um, maybe talk to me about this poker cube. As a, as a fan of poker, somebody who's enjoyed the game, play it very recreationally. Uh, walk me through how your solution uh, works in that environment. That was very uh, a very interesting excursus, let's say. So we were approached by an entity that wanted to sportify poker. So have poker tournaments with live audiences around them. And they came to us as a technology partner because we have for the sport of squash, we have something we call one-way vision glass and we have the LED tape that goes around it. So for them, we actually built an architectural solution, which is a cube that can be built in four by four meters or eight by eight meters, outdoor or indoor. And you can look from the outside into that box, but from the inside, you cannot look out. And the whole box is soundproof so that the players can't hear the spectators. So we can completely isolate the player inside that box from the audience. And that way you could make that a, a live audience sport. Interesting. So there's no impact on the players? No. Yeah. Okay. So they're not disturbed in any way. But again, it is uh, a way for the fans to be uh, more deeply engaged. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I look forward. Maybe is there something that I can... That I can watch on YouTube or somewhere uh, else sure. to see the cube in action. Sorry, sorry. I'm sure the guys uh, produced some content. I'd have to go and look into it because I'm not not so sure how successful that venture was in the end. Um, we did we did that for the client. The client was happy with the hardware, but uh, very soon we didn't hear too much from them again. So I'm not sure where the project stands today. What other sports do you think you can cater to? For example, I would imagine maybe tennis is uh, something that you would address. Uh, is there a larger field of play, a uh, futsal also, uh, perhaps if we're talking about the football market? What other sports are you most curious to uh, enter? Especially, especially with your DFL focus here, I think futsal is an important one. FIBA has a mission to promote futsal and most people will not know this, but there's already been two international futsal games on our floor. We have a permanent installation in Dresden, Germany, which is host to two of the games and we're also... Uh, in the progress of establishing a relationship towards uh, different entities in the futsal cosmos. Uh, it's definitely an interesting one for us. It's especially interesting because you can play it at the size of a handball field. Um, so our no compromise, multi-purpose approach um, is valid on, with that sport. So that's definitely a good one. Handball is very interesting. First, because the area is very large and I like my toys, so having a 800 square meter video floor would clearly be uh, another challenge to a 420 square meter basketball floor. So I'm looking forward to seeing that and I'm sure we'll see that in the next year or two. Um, that's going to be spectacular. Uh, so handball I'm really hoping for. Another big one could be tennis where we are very much at the beginning. We have no chance at the moment because our floor is officially rated for tennis, but it has a pace rating of five, which makes the ball very fast on the surface. So until now, we have simply accepted that, but now we're saying that the, the chances in tennis are just too good. The Hawkeye system developed for tennis is really, really clever, and we can plug and play that into our Glassflow OS, um, which we use to run the digital content on the video floor. So we could, in theory, do stuff like integrate certain bonus items on the floor if the player manages to hit them with the ball and something happens, extra points awarded, um, stuff like this. I think it could be super, super interesting. However, we need to get the speed of the ball to become lower. So we're in the process of seeking some experts helping, up with, helping us with that venture. And as it stands, I actually have this uh, product on my desk to, to look at what's happening in terms of innovation in the tennis ball market. 
Interesting. Uh, just for context, uh, what is the speed on the fastest current surface that tennis is played on? I would assume that is grass. You said you have a factor of five. What is it on grass? Just for our listeners to know or me to know as well. What I know is that carpet is five. I'm not sure the speed rating machine works on grass. So that would be a comparative measure. But in general, five is too fast for an official tournament. Got it. At least it's too fast for now and we hope to see it. And Dennis, and I think for me, that was the main thing that using this kind of technology, it opens up what you can do in terms of how the sport engages and actually the rules itself. I think a perfect use case is some of the newer uh, sports um, or not newer sports, but newer iterations, like whether it's uh, uh, the overtime elite league in basketball or three on three or um, in football, you have the King's Cup, which Gerard Pique is running, which is these are products which are built to interact with the fans a bit more and get them more involved and and play with the um, play with the traditional rules of the sport and experiment. And your kind of surface, naturally, as you said, you, there are so many things you could do, right? And uh, it can so easily become a part of the sport um, and help create new sports. Is that how you think of it as well? Well, yes, this is a very dangerous avenue to walk. Uh, let's let's be straight here. Our main goal is conventional sporting events. And we see ourselves as an enabler to conventional sports to remain relevant. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a new generation. We're dealing with second screen uh, usage. We're dealing with a faster paced environment. And we're dealing with a lot of distraction around the players. People were even arguing whether spectators are coming back after COVID or not. Um, so we see ourselves as an enabler to, to the existing sports, really. However, there's a lot of interesting stuff that can be done for new league games. We just need to make sure that we also go down, go down a path that's profitable. So if it's something like the Kings League that's established, that works really, really well. We as a company have just had a couple of these undertakings in the past that didn't go too well. So we want to make sure that whoever we partner with is very serious about what they do. The one thing we cannot avoid at this, uh, not afford at this point, is for our product to become a gimmick in any case. And that's what we don't want and we don't see. Saying that, we have a client in, uh, in the US who will open their facility early next year. It's going to be the largest video floor in the, U in the world. And there we will develop a completely new sport that is an augmented reality sport on 1,300 square meters of video floor. That sounds super interesting and I appreciate that caution or that uh, voice of reason, shall we call it, that you want to address the existing market first, uh, make the product and the business viable before you start experimenting with too many things. You don't want to live in the experiment. The experiment should be just that as a portion of your overall workflow. So fair enough, but also at the same time, it's it's the kind of technology that immediately opens up your imagination. You start think of, thinking of all the cool things that you could do rather than maybe consolidating on what you should be doing right now. Um, but anyway, that's your job as the leader of the company to guide the direction. Um, let's talk about direction. Let's talk about where you're headed. What's coming up over the next 12, 18 months um, that you can share with us? I know there's probably a lot that you can't share, but what can you tell us that we can expect from ASP? So I think what's interesting to you guys is that we're starting a US company this year so that we can have 24-hour response time for the US market and we can serve them directly when the right time zone 
uh, and, and we really understand the market because the German doesn't understand how a US brain thinks. And for us, we identify this as one of our potential biggest markets that we have neglected until now. So that will change within this year. We're hoping to potentially bring a portable floor to the US that we can use for certain events that we have also already targeted. I think that's very important to us at the moment in terms of strategy. But at the same time, we have to focus on existing building projects that we have. The company is growing 300% this year. And at the moment, we're running projects live. We're having two large projects in Germany. We have a project in New Zealand. We have a project in, um, we have three projects in Korea. We have one project in uh, Australia. So we're, we're acting globally. We have a project in Colombo, actually, in Sri Lanka. So we're acting globally, not always in the easiest areas. Um, and we need to focus on, on really bringing that 100% performance to our clients at all times, even in difficult times. And, you know, it's not always the easiest with ships being delayed and all of that. So um, managing an existing business is fair challenge, let's say, to the team. And that's good. The team is growing with it. And uh, I guess that uh, I mentioned that a little bit before, but I hope that we'll have a major bang in Europe uh, within the next two months. Sounds exciting. I mean, first of all, entering a new market like the US is a big step for any, um, say, sports solution provider. That is the, the biggest sports market by far. Um, so, yeah, I think that'll be a big step for you all. And on the other side, it looks like you're growing everywhere, not just the US. So look forward to more news and more cool projects coming from you guys as well. Um, Christoph, it's been super interesting to talk to you. I would love to talk to you some more, but we usually have to end the podcast somewhere. Um, so I will end on my last question, which is usually my favorite question to ask. I'd like to believe that we're all sports fans first. Um, so I would want to know from you what has been your favorite sporting moment, uh, either one that you consumed as a fan or participated in as an athlete. So this is an interesting one. Mine is uh, long before I'm born, but I like the, uh, the historicness of this. Obviously, I've been asked this questions a couple of times uh, since I started working in the sports industry, but it is really the moment in 1960 when uh, Wilma Rudolph won her first and then two consecutive gold medals. And the reason behind it is because I see certain parallels to what we do. Everybody would have told that black lady that grew up in, uh, in a poor suburb with parents that couldn't afford the, the medical care that she as a polio patient required. And uh, she had one, uh, one disabled leg and was told that she could never walk. And here you have a person winning three gold medals at the Olympic Games before she's even graduating from college. I think that's this, you know, telling somebody that something is impossible is a very, very strong thing to do. And it reminds me to us because we had a global rule change in basketball where the words and glass have been added to the global basketball rules. And that was eight years after someone deeply involved in the world of basketball told me that if I ever needed a FIBA 1 certification, then I should close my business because I will never get it. They will never trade the holy wood for a piece of glass. Wow. Well... Um, clearly you've pr proved, proved some people wrong and uh, that's also why I love asking that question because you'll get some incredible stories uh, and that's what the sports world is filled with um, an ode to history is, uh, is always good um, and especially a, a story of accomplishment or overcoming hardship is something that we can all look for look to for inspiration 
Uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Christoph, and thank you for sharing your stories about the company. And of course, we wish you all the best of luck with all that you plan to achieve over the coming years and months. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Uh, that is a wrap for another episode, uh, which is actually, I believe, the start of the series. Uh, we have a lot more cool uh, companies that we will be speaking with over the course of our focus of innovation in a stadium tech, uh, stadium and venue tech, I should say, brought to you by the DFL. All right. See you guys next week then. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast with Roan Maholtra. If you like our show, let us know and leave a review. And if you want to know more about us, check out sportstechx.com, where you can find our latest industry reports and updates. For a deeper dive into all things sports tech, check out our comprehensive database, SportstechDB, at sportstechdb.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us at SportsTechX on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Join us next time for another insightful conversation with a leader in sports tech.